I don't, you know, I've been having a problem with the newer version of Audacity. Yeah. It, uh, have you noticed mine, like, when you're exporting to an MP3, it'll just, like, crash and then delete all of the data. Oh. Yeah. So I gotta be real careful. I gotta save, save it save, a few save. times. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, I was completely done with my episode, mm. whatever one that came out late. And as I was, uh, putting the finishing touches on it, the cat unplugged the computer <laughs> and i couldn't recover any of it so i said okay i'm going to bed for a while and when i get up we'll uh we'll crack this son now, of a bitch up again look now i'm starting to believe that maybe your cat is the one leaving us negative reviews oh because she does not like bumblebutt podcast clearly oh. have we been getting some bad ones <clears throat> no but okay. i'm just saying the ones that are there are yeah probably... from her because she clearly does not appreciate the show yeah. and all the hard work we're putting in for this bad boy no she she's jealous she she's jealous of the time i spend away <sighs> i gotta tell you i've so i've been working on my new year's resolutions to quit vaping right mm I've been putting in a real hard effort through the week, which obviously, when you're getting off nicotine, tends to amplify your anger a little bit. Oh, yeah. Um, now, because of that, I had been forgetting to take my meds. Oh. And it was like Thursday or Wednesday, and it was like the middle of the day. I'm like, why do I feel like my head's so like, um, haywire yeah. right now? And then the next morning, I'm like, oh, shit. I've been so distracted with the nicotine that I have been forgetting to take my meds. Were you getting the, when you turned your eyes, was everything getting like weird? <laughs> no, it's just like my head felt scrambled. How many days? Uh, it was just like a couple. Okay, okay. Not too bad, but it's just take, like. Hey, try, just don't take it for four days. Ooh. It's, you don't get sick or anything, but every time you move your eyes back and <laughs> forth, the whole world fucking goes into splotchy view. I don't want that. It's weird. It sounds terrible. It's really weird. It's really weird. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Bumblebutt Podcast. This is the only podcast that uploads weekly. Who knows what it'll be about? Certainly not me. My name is Adam. Sitting across from me, as ever, on a snowy afternoon Hell is yeah. Codesford. Hello. Uh, hello, Adam. How are you? Oh, you know. Uh, I'm still wearing my jacket. <laughs> I, uh, I left between the bumbles, mm -hmm. uh, started the car for a little bit, scraped some snow off just to, so I wouldn't have to do a bunch of it when we're done with this yeah. episode. Yeah. And, uh, uh, I'm still a little chilly. So at some point you're going to hear some rustling. So it's going to get a little more naked. It's cold and snowing. It's the weird combination where it mm. turns into those weird little frozen pellets not okay. exactly not like snow snow but like the weird small sleet, sleet I but think not sleet either. not sleet it's either. like frozen snow because we're at almost sub-zero temperatures okay are is it really yeah it's fine fine snow 
I hate that. Well, you know what? We can get right in here. Oh, uh, fuck. Sh- Let's jump in. Make sure you get home safe. I'm sure everybody's concerned about Codes that. Codes for so. Eugene. I appreciate it. Audience. <laughs> Definitely not my middle name. <laughs> and Or your first name. None of that I'm going right. to be like... Mom, did you actually name me Codesford for <laughs> Eugene and Adam knows my real name and you've been lying to me my whole life? I've seen the birth certificate, the, the long form. After I found Barry Satiro's birth certificate, I found your birth certificate. They're right next to each other. Me and Donald have been going hard since he's left office, even though he's in a bunker under the White House. <coughs> yeah, that's a new conspiracy and it's really cringy. With 120,000 yeah. troops and a bunch of generals. Oh, God. What is it now? He He's actually running the country. Joe Biden's the corporate running of America president. I It's so stupid. I can't I, handle it. Hey, I'll tell you what. Whatever keeps those little weirdos in check. <laughs> if they think if they think Papa Don is, <laughs> is behind the scenes pulling strings, go for it. This week, we will be tackling a subject that has been historically <laughs> reserved for Adam. Oh? And that is crimes surrounding our home state of Minnesota. We're doing Minnesota murder! Hell yeah. More specifically, the Twin Cities where we both reside. I I live in one of them, and you live right on the border of the same one. You gotta remember, they say the Twin Cities, but people who aren't from here, they just kind of lump us all in there. It's the Metro Loop. Yeah. There's Minneapolis-St. Paul and about... 30 suburbs, yep. probably, somewhere in there. So All first string, all bedroom communities for the yeah, most part. Yep. Yeah. As we progress through the story, it will be a bit surprising to hear about streets and sites that we have both traveled down hmm. without any idea that over 100 years ago, a grisly murder took place and a psychopath roamed the streets and involves an important building that still stands in Minneapolis to this day. Whoa. Which... A group of Minnesota hipsters and socialites currently call their home. Oh, I got to think. I got to think on that. Is that, what is it, First Ave? I, I'll tell you all about it here in a minute. I wanted to guess, but no. I, I, uh, no I don't idea. know if you will be able to guess this because I've only heard of this place in like passing conversation. I, I don't know if I've ever actually been there or not. All right. I bet you might know it. At the corner of 13th Street and Hennepin Avenue in the Loring Park neighborhood resides the lovely historic building known as the Bellevue. I've heard of the Bellevue. I think we've heard of it. I don't think we've ever been there. I've Mm. never been there. I've been to the Loring Pasta Bar, and I'll tell you this much. It's good. Very good. And also, Loring Park, gigantic homosexual population. I was going to say, I think that's where pride and all that takes place. Mm Mm-hmm. Um, when is Pride? June, June, July? June. Yeah, you go over there. It's a bonanza. We'll say that. They're partying. They're doing all sorts of stuff over there. For the few years where mm. Minneapolis eclipsed San Francisco for most homosexuals <laughs> per capita, that was the start of the rainbow was Loring Park. Yeah. That's where it was. Hell yeah. Yeah, we've lost that title quite a few years ago, I think. Yeah, back to San Fran because yeah. guess what? <laughs> Cali, baby. It's beautiful there. You can't beat them. No. Now. The Bellevue contains such shops as Ellie's Bar and Grill or L'Amour Chocolat. Mm-hmm. Um, Ellie's Bar and Grill seems to have been there Eli. for a Is it Eli? I think so. Whatever. Uh, <laughs> it seems to have been there for like a really, really long time. So I think that's like a staple restaurant. Okay. I hope it survives Corona. I don't know. It seemed to be still in business currently, but I hope it survives. I think the restaurants here are now open Limited. again. Um, yeah, everybody's just kind of staying apart, thankfully. But for the most part, the building seems to be primarily used for condos. Now, 
If you were interested in purchasing a piece of property here, you would be informed that this is considered a historic building, but they will more than likely choose to leave out the part it played in a ghastly murder. Hell yeah. They're not going to tell you that. Hell yeah. Um, it's You couldn't buy any right now. They're all, they're all taken, by the way, so you cannot move here currently, and okay. I imagine it's quite expensive. Is it like loft living? Kind of? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Just like a shitload of apartments, essentially. That's pretty cool, though. It is. The Bellevue was constructed in 1891, and at the time, it was originally known as the Ozark Flats. Mm. Not sure. What do we have to do with the Ozarks at all? We're not even close, man. (laughs) No, why? There's there's not an Ozark for hundreds and hundreds (laughs) of miles. Now, because it was being used as a residential hotel at the time, it was owned and operated by a local real estate giant by the name of William W. Hayward, who at the time lived in the building along with his family. I think that's pretty common if the owner of the building at the time kind of lived there as well. Sure. One of the first residents of the building was a young lady by the name of of Catherine Ginge. I think it's Ginge or Ginge. One of the two. What do you think? Uh, you had her ging. <laughs> ging? Yeah, I don't know. Okay, well. Ginge, ging. Ginge? It's G-I-N-G, so email us <laughs> and let us know. I think it's Ginge. I feel like I've heard this name on a TV show. Was there a character with that last name on um, Hell on Wheels? Hell on Wheels? Uh, Ginge? Ginge? I don't think so. Would you... We'll just go with Ginge. Yeah, we'll go Ginge. I kind of like that. Or Kitty, as most people would call her. Uh Not a lot of kitties anymore. You don't hear Kitty too often. It's pretty sexualized, right? Uh, Yeah. Thanks, thanks, uh, the 80s. No, the 70s show. Oh, Kitty Foreman. Yeah. Kitty Foreman. The sex beast Kitty Foreman. Oh, I love that Muppet voice. Kitty was born and raised in upstate New York. She would move to Minneapolis in her early 20s, allegedly, to escape a persistent suitor. A uh, nice guy, probably. Is that the old term for stalker? Oh, yeah. <laughs> old term for fucking incel. That's what that is right there. A persistent suitor. Take a fucking hint. <laughs> Once she arrived in Minneapolis, she would open up her dressmaking shop oh. on Nicolette Avenue. Is it still there today? I highly doubt it. Uh, but Nicolette's a very popular street. It, uh, very. Let's see. It goes from Minneapolis to South Minneapolis to Bloomington, and there's shit like all along it there. I think that's where Matt's Bar is, right? Matt's Bar is on... Is it Nicolette? Or Hennepin. Mm. Not Hennepin, because Hennepin goes from like east to west. Nicolette goes north and south. North south, yeah. Okay, so yeah. It's, it's probably on Nicolette. It's a, it's pretty crazy. I don't know. It's just because we're going to hear about horses and shit going around. And can you imagine horses going down these streets? Nope. Back then. Also, you're a girl in her 20s in 1890. Are you like, I think Minneapolis is the poppin' place. Hey, we. it's How pretty, would you? It's only a 30-something-year-old <laughs> state at this point. I know. Being that she was an ambitious young businesswoman and a skilled seamstress, she would quickly attract the attention of a bunch of the city's wealthier clientele. Kitty and her wealthy clientele would share one thing in common, and that was their obsession with money. Hey, I share that with her as well. (laughs) Do you? No. Well, we'll see if you get as bad as she is. I just want money. I don't know (laughs) if I'm obsessed by it. Well, okay. As we'll find out, she'll do about anything to get her hands on. Are you that? Nope. Not that desperate. I'm pretty lazy. Okay. (laughs) 
As far as physical appearance goes, Kitty was about 5 foot 5 inches tall and about 150 pounds. One newspaper would describe her as Grand in figure, passably good looking, though masculine type. <laughs> that is such a old school roast. Oh my god. She's so she's uh, uh you know, she's built. She's, she's handsome, yeah. Yeah, she's built. <laughs> Kitty had beautiful black hair, striking gray eyes, a delightful smile, and a ferocious personality. Mm. But even if for the time period she wouldn't be considered conventionally attractive, even still, she didn't have any trouble attracting the attention of the opposite sex. Hey, all you got to do is stand out. I mean, from what we've read about this time period, it seems like ambitious... I don't know, aggressive young ladies, like, the dudes loved it. Fuck yeah. More than, I guess, the... Passive. The, yeah. Because that's what they're used to. That's what yeah. That's what mom was. That's what everybody I'm was. assuming Kitty probably decked a few men in the face in New Yorker? Day. A little New yeah. York fireball like this? 5'5", <laughs> five, five, 150? She, do you think she came here talking shit about the pizza here? Yeah, and the <laughs> twins. She hated I don't it know, when was pizza invested? <laughs> Invest, uh, well, it was poor people food back in the home country. Mm, okay. Italy, not my home country, but that's <laughs> what they would call it. You got real defensive. I, I don't, not my home country. Well, nobody would believe I was Italian <laughs> because I'm a giant. In 1893, Kitty would receive a marriage proposal from a local department store clerk by the name of Frederick Reed. Wow. Now, unfortunately, the engagement wouldn't last, and even though they would break up, whether Frederick had agreed on it or not, Kitty decided uh, to keep the diamond ring. Good for her. <laughs> Kitty would always keep said diamond ring inside of her dress in a little chamois bag. It, I don't know. I don't even know what the hell that is, to be honest with you. But uh, well, you know what a, sh a chamois cloth is, right? I don't think she had a chamois cloth. Yeah, I know what you mean. An agile goat antelope with short. <clears throat> Hooked horns found That's... in mountainous areas of Europe. <laughs> Maybe she had like a little protector elk or something, goat in her dress that protected the diamond. A type of soft pliable leather <laughs> now made from sheepskin or lambskin. There you there go. go. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Uh, this is really only important because this is what would prove that showed that she had a little bit of an obsession with wealth is sure. that she wouldn't let go of this like diamond ring. She loved that diamond ring. Now that Kitty was once again a single woman, she was what those of the Victorian era might have considered a spirited young lady. Hell yeah. <laughs> which for the more conservative beliefs of the time was frowned upon. Which is bullshit because yeah, she's a business owner. All of her male mm. counterpart business owners go around fuck all the ladies and mm -hmm. they don't get shit about it. But she likes to have a good time with the gentleman and gets gets uh gets a uh, gets Bad labeled rap. a scarlet letter. Yeah, it's uh it's it's really sad of the time period. It's bullshit. It's like you're a you're a player if you're a dude and you're a slut if you're a chick. Well, hold on now. Let's hear this part. One writer of the time period would write this. This is pretty funny. A terrible warning to the class of young womanhood which delights in <laughs> nightly carriage rides with male companions and private party suppers in places where wine and cigarettes can be made part of the bill of fare. All right, ladies, you better not be going to private parties with wine and cigarettes. Jesus. You naughty, naughty girls You're, with your wine and cigarettes. <laughs> you naughty turn-of-the-century broads out there. You flappers. What the <laughs> Was cigarettes considered, like, a naughty thing? What the fuck? I thought I, everybody smoked. I thought doctors were giving them out to curb pregnancy <laughs> cravings. 
Now, because of Kitty's business that would put her into contact with some of the citizens of higher standing in Minneapolis, she would also get involved with some on a more personal level, one of which will prove to be a genuine sociopath that unfortunately will be the cause of her death. Hell no. So let's talk about the crime. Jumping to December 3rd, 1894, at around 8.30 at night, a young railway employee by the name of William Earhart was walking back home after a long day of work. Now, William... What do you think he was singing? I don't... What was a tale someone would sing back then? I've been working on the railroad. (laughs) Well, Disney wasn't around yet. Could he be singing that? (laughs) Is that a Disney song? (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) Now, William was walking along down a desolate road on the outskirts of the city. Mind you, this is still Minneapolis. Sure. When he started to hear the noise of horse hooves approaching. This wasn't uncommon for the time period as horse and carriage were the way to travel. But what was weird about this carriage was that they were coming in his direction at a high rate of speed. The leather top of the carriage was covered so William couldn't see who was driving. But they were driving like a bat out of hell. William said to himself, Why a man should be driving at such a reckless pace. (laughs) I just love how people worded stuff. Yeah. Why are you driving at such a reckless pace? Even still, William didn't think too much of it and just continued on his way after they passed. Then all of a sudden, he almost tripped over something on the road. Upon a closer look, it was the body of a woman lying on her side with her limbs all bound up in her clothing with a huge pool of blood coming out of her head. Hmm. Now, at first, William thought, because of the carriage racing by a moment ago, perhaps she she had simply just been ran over by said carriage. I mean, I guess that probably would be your first thought, right? Yeah, I don't know if I would be like, I think she was simply (laughs) murdered by this thing. I I would be like, holy fuck, that chick is leaking. How how many hit and runs by carriages do you think happened? Fuck. (laughs) I mean, horses are, are... Yeah, they'll trample the shit out of you. Yeah, but so will a car. I, I'd say equal. <laughs> I'd say equal to uh, car hit. now? Yeah. Jeez. What a bad way to die. Poof. You get trampled by horses. Poof. Actually, this is a single horse carriage, too. Oh, so, one of those little uh, mm. uh, cruisers. Yeah. <laughs> is that what they call the cruiser? I'm, I'm not sure. We got the, cru- we got the cruiser model <laughs> over here. Sweet. <laughs> it had a leather drop top, so that's pretty dope. Being the good citizen he was, William quickly ran to the nearest phone and contacted a doctor for help. I wonder how long it took him to find a fucking phone. (laughs) Jesus. He's walking home down an empty road. He has to run and find a phone to contact a doctor. He had to find Alexander Graham Bell and be like, hey, I need to call whoever else has one of these. Uh, About a half an hour later, Dr. William Russell arrived on the scene and pronounced the woman dead. The body was then transported to the Hennepin County Morgue to be more closely examined. From the first onset, they could tell that she was clearly a woman of higher class because she was wearing a stylish outfit that consisted of a blue woolen shirt, striped shirtwaist, a fine sealskin jacket, and a jaunty sailor's hat. Was a sealskin jacket pretty boss back then pretty badass it sounds pretty cool i mean it sounds like a a waste of a seal they were probably killing them (laughs) in droves but uh, it sounds pretty cool upon a closer look at the tag on the clothing they spotted the name ginge Mm. so i'm assuming she probably made all of this herself i would assume if she's like a seamstress and whatever 
That would be awesome. Just like have the coolest outfit and you yeah. made it. Coroner William Willis P. Spring, what an interesting name, would eventually find her head contained a round, ragged wound behind her right ear and her left eye was protruding from its socket. Fuck. Spring would attempt to put the eyeball back in its socket, but noticed that there was a hard object inside. He reached in and pulled out a bullet, which would make it pretty obvious that she had been shot in the head. So, God, you think the bullet would have went through and not just, like, popped the eye out like a ball in the cup? Was it a musket ball? Like, uh, was it a Navy Colt revolver? Yeah, it's a Colt revolver. There you go, yeah. They don't don't have much power, huh? Oh, they're powerful, but it's, you know... (laughs) Some th- things happen sometimes. <laughs> the brain is a weird thing, and it can I, it can block your lead balls. I was just like, can you imagine that? He just like picks up the eyes, just like trying to put it in. Like, oh. What the fuck? I, why you didn't get it in there? God. Oh, there's a bullet in here. Scary. <laughs> yeah. Around the time that Kitty's body was being taken to the morgue, a gentleman by the name of Henry Gilbert, who's the foreman of the Palace Livery Stable in downtown Minneapolis, that can you imagine a fucking horse corral? <sighs> In downtown Minneapolis right now. How sweet is that? He would hear a horse enter the barn, which would turn out to be one of the horses they had rented out by the name of Lucy, which still had the buggy attached. Henry then peered inside the buggy and noticed what he initially thought was a red piece of cloth on the seat, but upon a closer look, it was... A pool of clotted blood, a half inch thick, and as large as a sheet of legal paper. That's a lot of blood, and I don't know how you'd think that was a cloth. I guess may- I'm assuming Henry Gilbert, working at the horse stable, was probably shit-faced at about 9 p.m. Where do you think the horse stable would be? Right by the Viking <laughs> Stadium? I don't know. I have no idea. I Probably around where the Bellevue is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, like today, where are you going to put a horse stable? I don't That'd be amazing. Like, you and the boys want to go out for a night in downtown Minneapolis. You go rent a horse and just... So Take did some they ladies out? And you're did they go. rent the carriage too, or just, yeah? They, okay, okay. Like you get the. I think it's a single horse. It was Lucy and whatever, I guess, convertible buggy you get attached to that bad boy. Yeah, the cruiser. You rent that out. You take the ladies out for wine and uh, cigarettes, and, and that's how it was. Oh, stinky. <laughs> They're going to have headaches in the morning. <laughs> probably. Fucking every time I had a pack of Parliaments or a glass <laughs> of wine, I would have the worst. Well, headache. you're probably smoking like. You have to roll these bitches up yourself. True. No chemicals in them. True. Ooh, delicious. Might actually be better. Yeah. As to be expected, the police were contacted, and they would look through the rental records for the carriage in question, and would find out it was checked out by Catherine Ginge, Hmm. the murder victim. The police would inform Kitty's next of kin, Mary Louise Ireland, who is also (laughs) her roommate, that Kitty had been killed, which sent her into... Obviously, she was very, very upset about it. Now came the difficult part of trying to figure out who would want to murder Kitty Ginge, or at the very least, what was their motive. And as we will learn shortly, there were quite a few people who may have had a reason to want to kill Kitty. I think it was that stalker suitor we were talking about earlier. He's making a comeback. That's what I'm thinking. Unfortunately, we don't know his name. He does not make a comeback, but... Shit. Unless he's going under a different name, I guess. But yeah. Uh, but yeah, he'd be he'd be suspect number one. He has been out of the picture for about four or five years now. So just enough time to track her down. <laughs> True. One of the first suspects was a man by the name of Constant J. Warneck. 
interesting name. Who Long was neck. <laughs> who was known to have boarded at the same house with the murdered woman and to have known her intimately. <laughs> then there was Kitty's ex fiance, the department store clerk Frederick Reed, mm. who may have been still upset about the engagement falling apart, as well as the fact that Kitty decided to keep the diamond ring. Then there was a pretty petite brunette by the name of Lillian Allen, who was who had been a rival for the apparent pussy hound Frederick Reed's affection. Well, she won. What's the problem? <laughs> well, at first she lost. At first, but now she's she got. She could have him. She's got a. She's got an open lane on the rebound. Freddie Reed is. I want. I want anybody from 1894 to email us and let us know if department store clerk was like the hottest of hot gentlemen back then. Mm. He's got ladies fighting over him. He was married to one of the baddest chicks in town. They Just... knew all the best brands. <laughs> they knew all the best perfumes. <laughs> I guess. Then there were two other gentlemen Kitty appeared to have had an intimate relationship with. One was a man named Ed Conway, who lived at Ozark Flats, and a traveling salesman by the name of Harvey Axelrod. <laughs> wow. Okay, so he's come, his family's come from Ellis Island. Yeah. How do they get Axelrod? Like, did they look at a carriage and be like, there's an Axelrod? That's our name now. Unless that's, like, why they were here. They okay. made axle rods for okay. carriages, so the Ellis Island, I was like, all right, that's your name then, but <laughs> what the hell? That's awesome. While all of these people could have certainly been involved with the death of Kitty Ginge, they all had solid alibis. While the police were looking into the suspects and talking to people, they would be informed by one of the residents of the Ozark Flats that Kitty may have had an intimate relationship with an individual by the name of Harry Hayward. Didn't you say he was the owner? He was one of the sons of the building. <gasps> oh, so the Hayward own uh-huh. Hayward name lives on. I wonder if they still have stuff here. I don't really know. I think so. Hayward's a pretty, you know, common pretty common last name. I, I don't think know. I've seen Hayward Avenue or Hayward Street somewhere. We should look I should have looked into if that was like involved with them. I don't know. Sure. Now, something interesting happened when Harry, Harry Hayward was informed that Kitty Ginge was dead. His immediate response was, God damn it, my money's gone to hell. What a fool I've been. <laughs> Whoa. Why would you say that? That's your first response. Money? Like, what kind of... I wonder what he's talking about. Oh, well, Did we, he loan her some cash? We will find out. Now, the police naturally were asking Harry to explain this response. Well, Harry informed them that... He had loaned Kitty $10,000 to expand her millinery business and was now afraid that he wouldn't get any return on his investment. Oh, geez, you're a real fucking, <laughs> you're a real knight in shining armor, buddy. They continued questioning him, and Harry would inform them that he actually wasn't that worried because Kitty had agreed to add a little security for the loan in the form of two life insurance policies each for $5,000. Well, you killed him, Harry. You killed her. <laughs> one from New York Life Insurance Company and one from Traveler's Accident Insurance Company, both of which had been written a mere 10 days prior. Now, Kitty wrote these as hit, wrote these out with him as the beneficiary. Mm. Keep that in mind. So naturally, being true crime sleuths, this is pretty obvious that Harry Hayward is clearly the one responsible. But Harry, 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 Harry Hayward killed her. Okay. There's one glaring problem. 
He had a rock-solid alibi. At the time of the murder, murder, Harry had taken Mrs. Mabel Bartleson to Charles Hale Hoyt's popular comedy musical, A Trip to Chinatown. Sure, that's not racist. (laughs) At all? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So there was no chance that Harry Hayward could have murdered Kitty Ginge, but the police felt his reactions and answers were a little strange, to say the least. So, who the hell is this Harry Hayward? Well, he was the youngest child of William Hayward, owner of the Ozark Flats. Perfect. At the time of the murder, Harry would have been 29 years old. He was broad-shouldered, deep-chested, imposingly tall. He had a neatly trimmed blonde mustache, a receding hairline, horsey teeth, and an ocular tick that caused his right eye to roll upwards at random times. <laughs> but by all accounts, he was considered to be dashingly attractive. Or as one person put it, a man to be looked at twice when met. <laughs> I want what I want men to say that about me, please. Man, I'd look at him twice. <laughs> I love how it's a, just like a lazy eye, and he's like, "Man, he is the hottest guy in town." Horsey teeth. I mean, I don't know. Horsey teeth. You don't want to be called that. No. But Harry wasn't the well-to-do gentleman his appearance may suggest. They described him as having a Jekyll and Hyde type personality. Sure, he did what was expected when you belong to a prominent family, spending some of his time attending high-class social events, but Harry's true calling in life was spending his time in the company of petty crooks, card sharps, and those who hung out in billiard billiard halls. At a young age, Harry would develop a nasty gambling addiction. Uh, Yeah, he went to the place where Pinocchio went and and was hanging out with all those smoking and drinking fools. I love how, like, the billard halls are, like, where the badasses hang out. (laughs) I know. I assume this is, like, the old school one, right? Oh, yeah. Like the... Oh, yeah. Like, I don't even know how you play it. It's, uh, yeah. The, The one that doesn't even have pockets, is that what you're talking about? Um... I, I don't think he uses sticks or anything. Or do you use the sticks? I don't know. See, we don't even understand it. It's a different game. It looks like pool, but it's a different game. I don't really know what it is. I just love nine ball. I love nine ball. Yeah, it's. E- I think it's like the easiest and kind of fairest to play, kind of. I think so. Um, it's a lot faster usually, too, for people who suck. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Although Harry's father tried to get him to stop his destructive lifestyle and live life as an honest man... Harry never once would have to work for a dime in his life and instead spent his time blowing all of his father's money gambling or conning others into giving him money to gamble with, which is where his involvement with Kitty Ginge begins. That's awesome. He, well, you're going to see, I don't think he is too awesome, actually. Harry, (laughs) you're my hero. He's basically Matt, or no, yeah, he's Matt Damon from, um... Rollers, or is that the name of Rounders. it? Rounders. Rounders. Gotcha. He's he's a hopeless addict. <laughs> I think Rollers is a Nick Cage movie. I think it is. <laughs> Harry would meet Kitty in January 1894, a little less than a year prior to her death. Harry would regale his tales of his successful gambling career to Kitty, who was enthralled by the handsome young man. Oh, yeah. Now, because of Kitty's love for money, she believed that if she would just loan this master gambler some of her money, maybe she could make even more easily. But it didn't take Harry very long to burn through several thousand dollars of Kitty's money. So she pretty quickly put a stop to that smartly. He's a terrible gambler, apparently. Well, 
people with gambling addictions, they're never that good at it, are they? But I don't get that. How is that possible? The 10,000-hour rule means you should get better well, as time goes on, unless he's playing rigged-ass games constantly. It's a game of luck in some aspects, isn't it? Yeah, but there's strategy you can impose on, get, on like, blackjack. Well, think, poker, of, think of your old buddy who um, created a system to, like, what, what's the word there? Like, um, call, make a reason why his gambling losses is okay because on the year he has made money. Yeah, that's all of them, too. Whatever, yeah. whatever you call that. Like, yeah, I'm down this trip, but I'm up overall. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's I, I don't know about that. Again, it seems pretty obvious that Harry is an important piece in solving the murder of Kitty Ginge. The police felt the same way, but... How could they connect him when he had a solid alibi? The police thought they would put Harry to the test by taking him to the morgue to look upon Kitty's body. Maybe this would trigger some sort of guilt or emotional response from him. Sure. But to their amazement, as Harry stood staring at the lifeless body of Kitty Ginge, Harry simply said, Poor girl. Poor dead girl. If you could only speak now, you could tell us who he was. He's not very good with first comments. No. He's terrible at it. One of the officers who was watching for Harry's response would later say, Not a co- not a particle of color left <laughs> his face. Every eye was upon him. Every nerve was strained to catch the slightest quiver of his muscular frame, the slightest pallor <laughs> in his face. Yet he stood the test. Not one of the party could say that the sight of the poor murdered girl caused him a moment of guilt or remorse. So I love how the officer's like, his muscular frame. Weird. I was watching it so intently. Weird. He didn't do anything. I can't do. I don't think police do this now, right? Well, they'd be they'd be afraid. All their all their uh, bro cop buddies would be like, you, "You're gay. You're gay." <laughs> no, I meant take the criminal to look at the body. Ah. To like ah. try to like spark something i'm sure it still happens to like especially for low intelligence people right you take them to look at what they did it's like when you take a kid to look at their poopy underwear (laughs) you know you who what what parents taking their kid to look at their poopy underwear like look what you did (laughs) i don't think you're supposed to do that you little shit (laughs) and then they turn into ed kemper (laughs) (laughs) you little don't do that to your kids please So they would have no choice but to let Harry walk away. December 5th, 1894, the Church of the Immaculate Conception would host the funeral of Kitty Ginge. I should have looked if this still exists. I don't know. I bet know. it does. I bet it does. Churches don't go away around here. I I don't like the name of that one. Church of the Immaculate Conception. <laughs> There's most of them are. like Especially if you go in... Hispanic communities, mm. a lot of them are blah, blah, the Immaculate Conception because of how much they fucking love the Virgin what, Mary. What What's the one just on the road here? Guadalupe yeah. in, in, in Immaculate Conception. Yeah, Our yeah, Lady it's... Guadalupe's Immaculate Conception. <laughs> it's funny. There's literally one a mile from here. Yeah. Harry Hayward would attend the service, and he would even promise those in attendance that he was going to accompany Kitty's remains on their way back to her birthplace of Auburn, New York. As no surprise, he did not do that. <laughs> <laughs> At the same time that the funeral of Kitty Ginge was going on, it just so happened that a local lawyer by the name of Levi M. Stewart had mailed Assistant County Attorney Albert H. Hall a rather interesting letter. The letter stated that three days prior to the murder of Kitty Ginge, Levi Stewart had been approached by Harry Hayward's older brother, Artie. Mm-hmm. Stewart said... 
He told me that Harry and a confederate were going to murder Miss Ginge in order to get money from her life insurance, and he wanted to know what could be done to prevent it. Now, as a no surprise, initially Levi Stewart thought that Artie was just simply blowing smoke up his ass. Mm -hmm. But after Kitty was murdered, maybe he thought this might be a little bit of a prudent information for the police. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) when the person in question is murdered, yes. This is the part of the story where the walls will start collapsing in around Harry Hayward and reveal what really happened. After informing the police of the letter, Harry and Artie were promptly arrested and locked up at the Central Police Station. Is that still around? I don't Ooh. know. It sounds like it would be. I don't really know. If it's not, I'm sure there's another one called <laughs> the Central, Central Police, police Station. Yeah. Central Booking. Uh, in an attempt to get to the bottom of the story. Then Artie started to make his full confession of what he knew. Mm. It all started sometime in early September of 1894, about three months prior to the murder. Harry had approached Artie asking him if he wanted to make good money. Artie said, I am always willing to make good money, but it depends upon what it is. Harry said he would give him $2,000 to kill a woman, claiming it would be a very simple thing to pull off. You just have to take her out driving somewhere, shoot her in the head. Easy. <laughs> to him, it is. Easy peasy, lemon squeezy for a sociopath. Artie was taken back and said he would not do anything like that. Harry then tried to provoke him by claiming that he didn't have any nerve. Artie replied, I have enough nerve. Prove it. Go out and kill somebody, and I'll give you $100. If you're too afraid to kill a woman, kill a kid. Kill a cripple. They're better off dead than alive anyway. Yikes. This guy's like, I, I genuinely think he might be a sociopath. I think my like, eyeballs have blinked 800 <laughs> times. Yeah. Like, I don't think he gives a fuck about anything. I hate him. <laughs> Artie continued to refuse to kill the dressmaker, as Harry was referring to her as. Yeah, the dressmaker. Yeah, okay. he, did, he didn't say her real name. Hey, only the dressmaker. That's how you do it. That's how you make it better in your head. You you take away their, their humanity. Right. As no surprise, being told no would enrage Harry, and he stormed out of the room. But Harry wasn't going to give up that easy. That November, Harry returned to Artie and informed him that he had convinced the dressmaker to take out $10,000 in life insurance policies, and it was now time to sacrifice the dressmaker. (laughs) Because Artie was too (laughs) chicken-hearted, as Harry put it. Are these how you piss somebody off? You're chicken-hearted. And he ain't got no nerve. Like, is that triggering words? Jeep, 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 jeep. Oh, God. <laughs> you know who would be pissed? Yeah, Tommy was yeah. He'd be so mad. Don't call me chicken hearted ever. Jeep, <laughs> jeep, 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 jeep. <laughs> also, that Harry had found another man to complete the assassination of Kitty Ginge. Oh. The assassin's name was Klaus A. Blixt. Fucking kraut. <laughs> you fucking. No, 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 no. Uh-oh. He's not a kraut. We're going to find out here. Uh-oh. Now, Klaus was an interesting character. One historian would refer to him as a dim-witted immigrant. Yikes. <laughs> That's racist. <laughs> yes, very. Uh, he was a Swedish-born immigrant. <gasps> uh, so he's a wooden clog boy. He's, uh, not a, he's not a kraut boy. Right. Although All right. they are probably immigrated to each other's country somewhere along the line there. They're both Germanic, yeah. pagan I mean, Klaus, that's a pretty... 
Is that a Swede name or is that a German God name? God damn, that's so German. That's like very that's German. one I would. It's like Hans <laughs> and Klaus if I were to make fun of Germans. Like, is this? I. It's hard to say his name. I think it's Blixt, like B L I X T. Yeah, Blixt. What a weird. I've never heard of that name before. It's pretty cool. I mean, again, Ellis Island. How do you come up with that? I wonder if it was probably like Blix. Blix. Yeah. It's the sound of wooden clogs clipping together. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what's your name? What's the name of your family? Hold on. Okay, there it is, Blix. Blix. <laughs> now, he had came to America at the age of seven and lived with his parents in southwestern Minnesota. Mm. For the next 20 years, he would work on the family farm until he acquired a threshing machine and became a stationary engineer. Hell yeah. Now, are you familiar with this bad boy? The thresher? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, I had to look it up. It's just, Holy shit. Essentially, for those who don't know, it just like crushes the hay Takes the seeds out of it, mm-hmm. essentially. So yeah, it's real he, scary. And if he was a engineer for this thing, uh, yeah, he was a he was way ahead of technology for 1800s. Not now. really a dim-witted immigrant <laughs> no. if he's engineering threshers. Have you not noticed the theme of the historians telling this tale, roasting everybody while they're doing it? Hell yeah. <laughs> Klaus would move to Minneapolis in 1886 and work a bunch of jobs, which included bartender, streetcar conductor, steam engineer operator at a rock quarry, then finally landing as a handyman for the Ozark Flats, where he would inevitably run into Harry Hayward. Klaus would have been around 41 years old at this point and lived in the basement of the building with his third wife. He was in charge of maintaining the furnace and ensuring that the hydraulic elevator was in working order. Wow. Like uh, Hydraulics? Yeah. Dude, this was a boss-ass place at the time. Like, does it have to be like the boiling hydraulics probably? It seemed like he had a... he would let, like make it go up and down. Wow, like, that was his thing, and he made sure it worked. Wow! So if somebody hit like the for it on floor two, he would be like, <laughs> send it to floor two. Yeah, from the basement, it sounded like shit. Yikes! Now, as you can probably tell by this point, someone like Harry could easily manipulate people and would see Klaus as an easy mark. So starting in November of 1894, he would start to make nightly visits to the basement where Harry would start to bribe, blackmail, and bully Klaus to do anything that he desired, which included such things as convincing Klaus to set fire to a barn that was across the road from the Ozark Flats and allegedly forcing him to poison the neighbor's dog. What the fuck? As, like, Tess? Yeah, as Tess. Just to see how far he could push him. All right, now this is too easy, and I I know we're going to get a one-star review for this, but... (laughs) I mean, Trump and Trump Jr. here. Yeah. Little little Trumpy... It just reminds me, like a landlord asshole mm-hmm. that fucks everyone's over. Mm-hmm. Well, Jared Kushner, there you go. Hey. He, that was his. That is his life. He is a terrible landlord. Um, so yeah, actually, that's a good pro- point you brought up. Trump's name because the the title of this story is called the Minneapolis uh, Svengali, and I had to look up what that was because right. I thought it was a person, and it's literally somebody like Donald Trump who like emotionally control somebody mm-hmm. and that's essentially what this asshole is so there you, go. there you go now realizing he had a pretty firm control over klaus he decided to ask him to kill kitty ginge harry would tell klaus that everything about kitty disgusted him he said <laughs> whenever i go up to a room and she puts her arms around me i feel like putting a knife into the goddamn bitch yikes 
Klaus was taken back after hearing this, and he said, I'll If a girl loves you like that, how could you do such a thing? <laughs> it is awful. I don't understand. I would rather kill her than shoot a dog. If there was a dog in her, I'd shoot her and let the fucking dog go. Jesus. I think he is a fucking crazy sociopath. I'm scared of him. Yeah. In, in text alone. <laughs> Harry would start to go into detail about how he would make $10,000 if Kitty was killed, Klaus said. But Harry, can't you make money some other ways by killing the poor girl? Don't you want to make some easy money? He promised Klaus $2,000 if he was successful in killing Kitty Ginge. Even though Harry had been able to convince Klaus to do some bad shit already, Klaus knew this was too far and he said he wasn't going to kill anybody. Nice. Harry then told him, You know that barn you fired for me? I can have you sent to prison for 10 years for that. You must help me if you want me to keep quiet. Honestly, that's probably why he convinced him to do it. Hell yeah. Just so he can, like, blackmail him after the fact. Woo! We never talked about the fact that there's literally a barn across from a historical hotel at this point. That's pretty funny, yeah. <laughs> Jesus, that had stink so bad. In the metro area <laughs> yeah. of the state. Still, Klaus remains steadfast, informing Harry that he wasn't going to kill that girl. So what did it finally take to force Klaus to kill Kitty? That was when Harry said, If you don't help me. I'll kill your wife. Oof. With a face full of tears, Klaus felt he had no choice and would agree to kill Kitty because he loved his wife more than anything. Now, Harry's first plan for murdering Kitty was something straight out of a comedy movie. <laughs> his plan went as follows. Harry was going to get Kitty into an elevator with him. Then, when she wasn't looking, he would whack her over the head with a hammer, and that would knock her unconscious. Oh, yeah. Then he would slightly ajar the elevator door, place Kitty's head through it, and because Klaus was the elevator's mechanic, he just had to start it up and tear the head off. <laughs> Jesus. Whoa. But Klaus was able to convince Harry that might be just a little bit too gruesome. Uh, I have seen a video of that yeah, on res- Reddit. Oh, have you? Yeah. Is it accidental, I would oh, assume? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay. That's not, did the elevator have enough power to cut their head off? Mm-hmm. It didn't just stop? Mm-hmm. Well, Resident Evil, uh, remember that lady happens to her? Absolutely, yeah. yeah. What a terrible way to die. Ooh, that's no good. See, this, I think he like would have gotten a sick joy out of watching that. Like her head popping off. You know what else I've seen a video of? What? A uh, guy got into an elevator, his dog didn't. He was holding the leash, and then all of a sudden, like, the doors close, and the elevator starts going up, and the dog just gets, like, yanked upwards, but then, thankfully, the leash it's, breaks. It's fine. The okay. leash breaks, and okay. he, he gets to the floor, he's just very confused. <sighs> okay. Well, you got to make sure the dog's in the elevator with you before you go in there, God please. Damn. So Jesus. scary. Yeah. This is when Harry devised the buggy assassination plan. He was able to use Kitty's obsession with money to convince her that if she would meet him at a predetermined location with a rented buggy, there was some easy money to be made. Kitty agreed, and on December 3rd, 1894, she rented the buggy and met Harry on the corner of Lindale Avenue and Kenwood Boulevard. We know Lindale. I don't know about Kenwood. I'm sure it's still there. So they met at the location. And at first, Kitty was a little taken back when Klaus was sitting there with Harry, but Harry informed her that don't worry about him, he's just part of the gang. Harry then told Klaus to get into the buggy with Kitty. Klaus found the courage to do so because he was hopped up on a pint of whiskey and was concealing a loaded Colt pistol. God damn it. 
Harry told them to drive out to the west side of Lake Calhoun. I'm <laughs> sorry, is... Lake Bede Makaska. Is that the new one? Mm-hmm. Okay, but obviously, this is where all the kids go to hang out. And, well, yeah. Uh, during the summer, very popular, very beautiful area. Actually. Also, if you go fishing uh, early in the morning, sometimes you can see homeless people fucking on a in blanket. There. Yeah. Okay, would that make you a bigger pervert than them? Well, I was 11, and I was out there, and it scared me. It You're really still did. a pervert. Yeah, Just definitely. Just saying that. Definitely. There, they would exchange horses before moving to the real location to confuse anybody who would be trying to follow them. After Klaus and Kitty took off, Harry quickly ran on foot to the home of Miss Mabel Bartleson, and the two of them made their way to the opera house, thus creating his solid alibi. After this, Klaus, following Harry's instructions, shot Kitty behind the right ear, threw her body out of the buggy, dropped the buggy off at the library, and took a streetcart home. Shot her behind the right ear, okay? Mm. So she probably was looking, or maybe he held her up first. I don't know. Oh, if she was looking to the right. Yeah, he like I was quickly like, did it. I was like, because if he went the other way, like he, if that went through her head, he would have gotten two for one. Harry would be dead as well. <laughs> no, Harry's not in the buggy. Oh, you're right. Yeah, Harry got them in there and said, hey, meet me at this location, and then he took off. Brilliant. To cover his ass, Brilliant. kind of. Okay, but his uh, obviously his brother ratted him out. Yeah. So there's thank that. goodness. After Klaus made that full confession while in custody, both Harry and Klaus would be indicted on murder charges. Artie was not charged and released. As no surprise, the trial of Harry Hayward would become a nationwide sensation. It deserves to be. <laughs> causing the general public to become exceedingly interested to see how the trial was going to play out. When the trial was finally set to begin on January 21st, 1895, the scene was wild. (laughs) One reporter at the scene wrote, It would have cast in the shade a Republican convention in a presidential year. (laughs) Wow. Did they not? uh, I guess they were kind kind of new at that time, right? Because they had just transformed to from the Whig Party, have they not? Yeah, they were much more liberal, too. Yeah. Oh, yeah, very liberal. Yeah. Over 5,000 people were jammed into the streets outside of the courthouse, most of them yelling, Hang him! Hang him! Hang him! Hang him! <laughs> not very Minnesota of them. No. Apparently, a sediment shared by then-Minnesota congressman... Ignatius Donnelly. You son of a bitch, Ignatius said, Donnelly. He's my. He's the hero of the story. Harry should be hung at once, and if he is acquitted, the public had better turn out and hang his attorneys. <laughs> Woo! Ignatius, don't play. Ignatius, you know, do not play. Unfortunately, we already know a spoiler because uh, we actually covered the last person hanged in Minnesota, and it was well before this. Well before Was this. it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, what year was that? Do you remember? Uh, Nope. Okay. Well, yeah, we're going to talk about the... Um, death penalty being abolished as well so the trial would last a long seven weeks nine days of which were dedicated to just jury selection but the trial itself had some interesting moments which included the testimony of klaus blix which apparently was so insane it kept those in the courtroom stunned for three days straight (laughs) and one reporter said this about the testimony of Artie hayward Never before on the witness stand was there ever such a story told for mortal ears. <laughs> we need to bring back using like mortal in everything because they love to use the word mortal they sure in the newspapers. 
Now, even though Harry Hayward came from a rich family and added to the fact that his father would have to sell off much of his property simply to pay his son's attorney fees, it took the jury less than three hours to find Harry Hayward guilty of the murder of Kitty Ginge. Good. Apparently, their strategy, his uh, Harry's attorney strategy, was to claim that Artie was actually insane and made all of this up, even after Klaus gave his testimony. Not very good lawyers, I would say. That's awful. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I, I was like trying to rack that through my head. It's like that's not going to play at anywhere. I guess that's if, not going to play in preschool. I guess if they could wipe out Artie's initial confession, maybe it would void everything else. But I don't think so. No, that's ridiculous. I don't think it works that that's way. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> A mere three days later, on March 11th, 1895, he was sentenced to death. Rip. Harry would be held at the Hennepin County Jail while awaiting his appeals. Now, as with a lot of the psychopaths we have talked about on this show, Harry shared a similar disposition with some of them while in police custody. He would joke with the jailers. He was charming to any journalist who came to visit him. He would make jokes about his upcoming necktie party. (laughs) He slept like a baby and apparently began eating so well that he started to get a bit chunky. Harry would even attempt to escape twice, even after telling everybody who visited him how perfect conditions in prison were. Well, sure, they may be perfect, but you know what's even better? Not being in fucking prison (laughs) waiting to die. Uh, What's his name from um, Making a Murder, that kid? He got kind of fat while in jail, didn't he? Oh, yeah. The, The... Uh, Brendan. Brendan, yeah. Brendan Dassey. He just wanted to watch WrestleMania. Just wanted to watch (laughs) WrestleMania. (laughs) While in jail, Harry's parents were pleading with him to make amends with his brother Artie before he was put to death. After much convincing, Harry sent Artie this letter. Dear brother Artie, my days are numbered, and I hope and trust that you will grant this my last request. I would like to have you come and see me as soon as you receive this, and forgive me any injury I have fancied you have done me. And I hope you will extend a like forgiveness. Your loving brother, Harry. Oh, that's sweet. Naturally, this was just a trap so that Harry could berate Artie. Yep. As soon as Artie approached Harry's cell, Harry yelled at him. I will be with you, Artie. As long as you live, I will haunt you to to your last day. You will see me every night for the rest of your life. You will see me as a corpse with the rope around my neck. I will make life a living hell for you. How do you like it? <laughs> then proceeded to say, Ah, this is glorious. If I could have your brains, Artie, I would stick them on an iron and roast them in the fire. I would clench them in my hands and tear them to pieces. That's my forgiveness. Yikes. Holy hell. This guy is a loony tune, <laughs> man. After Harry yelled this at Artie, Artie ran out the door. Harry continued to scream, Goodbye, Artie. I'll meet you at the gates of hell. <laughs> I kind of like how he's he's yelling at him, but that's fucking insane. After this incident, the jailers claimed that apparently for the next hour, Harry paced back and forth telling himself how proud he was for sticking it to Artie. Wow. That is a crazy person right there. (laughs) He is so jacked up on his own success and craziness. Now, the entire time Harry was in jail, he didn't show a single sign of remorse who would even admit that he was actually responsible for the murder of Kitty Ginge until December 9th, 1895, when all his appeals were exhausted and the governor had denied his request for clemency and the bill to abolish the death penalty in Minnesota hadn't received enough votes yet. 
With just 12 hours until his execution, Harry wanted to get a few things off of his chest. I like when they do that. Uh, more so than like the stoic ones that yeah. want to keep it all with them. Yeah, just go go to their grave with it. Yeah, I'd rather. I would much rather like learn some answers and parse through if it's bullshit or not. Right, right. Harry was openly admitting to being responsible for the death of Kitty, but also claimed that he had actually killed three other people in addition to Kitty. The first person he killed was a pretty twenty-year-old sporting girl. Harry had met her in Pasadena and lured her to a remote location in Sierra Madre, then shot her in the back of the head, buried her body in the woods, and made off with $700 she had in her purse. Jesus. Then Harry claimed to have killed a consumptive. Which is a TB-ridden person. Right. Mm -hmm. While in Long Branch, New Jersey, after which he robbed the man of $2,000. Harry then claimed to have murdered someone he referred to as a Chinaman. That'll happen. In New York City while at a gambling joint. Harry claimed to have gotten into a fight with the man after a card game, knocked him down, and stomped on his stomach. Fuck. Harry then picked up a chair, plunged the leg of it into the man's eye, and sat down on the chair. Fuck. Harry said, His skull was kind of thin, and I heard the chair leg smash down through his skull. Yikes. So, if this is true, um, this is technically a serial killer in Minnesota here. If that's true, that's the most heartless fucking asshole in the world. Yeah. Well, here's the thing, though. I don't know. From his attitude, this whole thing, I'm like, I kind of believe him. Yeah. You know, like, he has just, like, this psychopathic comments about everything. This, like, no-nonsense honesty, almost. Yeah. Like, you got to remember, these quotes are, like, exact quotes from him. Like, we're not making this shit up for the show. Those are quotes from him. He said those words, so. It's way awesome to get to read shit from a dude that says, like, cool, well-thought-out stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Instead of a lot of these rambling idiots that just go on about being stupid. (laughs) Now, the other interesting thing he said during his confessions is Harry would claim to have this weird impulse to do harm or kill someone. The apples. Yeah, which he had suffered with his entire life. He would claim to share similar desires to then San Francisco sex killer Theodore Durant or the demon of Belfry who had killed two women. Harry said, I can tell exactly how he felt. He did it with pleasure. Harry went on to describe one evening when he went on a buggy ride with a young lady. I could hardly keep from choking her to death. I would have just liked to. She don't know how close she came to kicking the bucket. So, I I don't know. I kind of think he might have had that weird serial killer impulse. Mm -hmm. Um, But regardless if we believe his confessions or if he was simply sensationalizing all of these stories in a last-ditch effort to make his favorite cousin, Edward Goodson make some money off of his stories. We don't really know. They say maybe he made it up just so his cousin could make money off his story, but it's hard to say because obviously a killer back then, it's going to be real hard to like find the bodies and all of that. Yeah. Yeah. So you're kind of taking them at face In value. In Pasadena, too. Like, that's California, right? Yeah. Nobody's going to California. Well, Sierra Madre is a town now, right? Yeah. And back then it was as well, but I think like it was a forest. He buried a body. Like, yeah. nobody lived there. What are you going to do? Rip rip up the whole forest to find the body? <laughs> I, I don't know. think so. 100-year-old body? I doubt it. I don't think so. After making his confession, he had one final thing he wanted to do, and that was to make a true amends with his brother, Artie, which he did with a gentleman's handshake. 
After completing that task, Harry enjoyed his final hardest- Wait, so he fucking, after all the screaming and yelling, he, he gave him a handshake? Yeah, yeah. He's like, okay, I'm sorry, Artie, whatever. He cooled down. I don't know. He, he They shook hands. It was good. This is it. Good for him. After completing that task, Harry enjoyed his final hearty supper and a few hours later got dressed for his execution. His outfit included a cutaway coat, pinstripe trousers, turned down collar, and a white necktie. Looking good. On his way to the gallows, he was greeting the spectators with a cheerful, Good evening. And was requesting, Uh, give me three cheers. (laughs) While... Even while standing in the spot where the trap door was going to fall, Harry continued to make jokes at the crowd. One witness would say, I looked upon him almost as if he were a stage performer who would soon take his bow, (laughs) receive his modicum of applause, and retire. (laughs) Eventually, the sheriff got annoyed with Harry's antics and begged him to just die like a man. Oh, silently? Yeah, Yeah, he's like, just be quiet and just die like a man. His final words seemed to be, Keep up your courage, boys. Pull her tight. I stand pat. <laughs> Not the best final words, but okay. Pretty good. After this, the trap door was then opened. Unfortunately, the drop wasn't set properly and didn't snap his neck on impact. Huh. So the crowd had to sit and watch Harry Hayward suffocate to death for over 15 minutes. God damn it. Apparently, two Minneapolis businessmen named H. Benedict and T.C. Hugh had bribed someone with some power because... They had taken a phonograph machine into Harry's jail cell just prior to his death and recorded some of his last words on a wax cylinder. Whoa! The day after his execution, they were selling copies of it. Do they still have it? I like... should have looked. I don't know. Um, I assume they probably rotted away by this point. Because what can you do? You can only, like, print them on sheets, right? Isn't that how it works? Yeah, I don't know. But if somebody was able to digitize that shit or record it into, you know, a CD or a tape or something, that would be... Having that wax cylinder would be badass. Remember that Antiques Roadshow or whatever? Yeah. (laughs) That's so funny. (laughs) Where the guy, like, shatters it. As far as with Klaus Blixt, he was simply sentenced to life imprisonment. He would die in August of 1925 at the age of 72, apparently having descended into total insanity by that point. So uh, he, he was, just, he, maybe guilt got him, I would assume. I consider him as much of a victim as Kitty. Yeah. Uh, he, he was railroaded and backdoored into this shit. Yeah, yeah he, he, I mean, if we believe what Klaus was telling him, telling, I guess, the cops, then yeah, he he was controlled completely by Harry Hayward. Yeah. And Harry Hayward, I think, clearly is a fucking asshole. So imagine you're renting, you're getting a nice condo at that at the Bellevue. You're like, hmm, I wonder if a possible serial killer used to live in this building. Well, yes, they did. Hey, and used to own it. Yeah, you know, it's well, pretty, his dad, yeah. I consider a family owning. Um, well, the case I did obviously took place after 1895 as i thought that was i thought it was I, earlier as it was cowboy times yeah. could it be possible that they abolished it then reinstated it then abolished it again maybe but the 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 story we did was certainly the last really yeah i don't know they they hung this dude i don't know yeah, um, no 
they they said like he was hoping that they were gonna that abolish mean, it. That just means my shit uh, took place after it pro- if, after the story. It could have been like a year after, for all we know. This is 1895. That's a long time mm-hmm. ago. Um, 1911 was the last one. Gotcha. Okay, there you go. William Bill Bill Will Williams. <laughs> William Williams and the Bellboy Blues. I love that. One. 1906. That was the last. When one. did they abolish it? Not uh, 1911 was the okay. was the official abolition, but 1906 was the last execution. The last, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Because, because of the botched execution of Bill Will Williams. Think about this though. Uh, in 1895, they were real close to reaching a, a consensus to abolish it. Mm-hmm. It took another pff, nine how many years. fucking years yeah. to get it done. It's yeah. insane. It's. In, I mean, they killed a lot of people since then. I'm assuming. <laughs> But I guess Minnesota was one of the first ones to kind of get rid of it. So yeah. there's that. So what do you think about Harry Hayward? I got to tell you. You wish there was Minneapolis with horses still. Uh, well, yes. <laughs> number one, yes. But number two, this guy, an animal. Yeah. Well-spoken animal, though. Yeah. Obviously yeah, smart. Obviously thought he was really fucking smart. Smart enough to get away with this kind of nonsense. But like you said, with the elevator pitch yeah where he was gonna try and saw her head off with the elevator that's that's a cartoon that's a comedian that's a real lofty <laughs> yeah. artsy try like way to do it so he wasn't as smart as he thought he was plus it's like that would be pretty obvious who killed her then <laughs> or i guess he could make it seem like an accident but then they would see like the big hammer you put her purse in her head. you put her purse on the uh on the floor where her head is so that way it would be like, oh, she was leaning out to grab her purse that she dropped when the doors popped closed. her head off. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I suppose. Wouldn't. Yeah. I was like, wouldn't. I don't know how the elevator worked. I don't know if they had like a little horn. <laughs> I did the basement. Can you turn it on, Klaus? Right. Right. Or yeah, because electricity wasn't the main. St- yeah, it must have been a little one of those horns, one <laughs> yeah. of those servant horns. You have or to whatever. like call down there. Burp, burp. What a terrible job. How terrible do you think Klaus's living conditions were in the basement with the furnace and everything? Goddamn. <laughs> I guess it's probably warm. Live in the boiler room. Yeah. Way too warm. <laughs> yeah. Way too warm. <laughs> but yeah, that I, I thought that was crazy. It just happened to stumble upon that. I feel like, bad for Klaus. Yeah, absolutely. Poor Swedish man. He just wanted to come here with his clogs and he probably couldn't wear them if he's next to the furnace. They're flammable. Yeah. He wear them shoes there. But yeah. Then, but yeah. We should be talking more about Harry Hayward. That's all I know. I know. As he... far as Minnesotans go, we should know about Harry Hayward. <laughs> Especially, I hope someone who lives at the Bellevue, I think Minnesota is one of our top places for listeners. Um, I hope someone lives there or lives by there and reaches out to us. Yeah, and, or has lived there. Yeah. Or knows someone that lives there. Let Even us know. been to the restaurants or whatever, the chocolate shop. Yeah. Let us know. Yeah. Uh, if you would, please let us know. You could do so by filling out the form on our website, bumblebuttpodcast.com. It'll send it straight to our email, and uh, we'll be able to talk to you, and it's pretty cool. Another thing you can do if you like us, follow us on Twitter at bumblebuttpod, Instagram at bumblebuttpodcast, and if you're a real champion, you'll hit the follow button on Spotify, and if you're even more of a champion, I guess, uh, you will leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Hell yeah. We got a new one. We got a couple. We got a couple newbies? Well, we got one written. Oh, fantastic. Perfect. I didn't even see that. And I was just looking at it, and I was kind of like, I wonder if they made this name for you. Uh, it says, Loved It Updated by Casey970. Okay. Does 970, do you think they were throwing shade at your GPU? At my shitty, <laughs> at my shitty fucking yeah. <laughs> graphics card? Probably. Uh, great true crime and paranormal podcast with some comedy <laughs> in it. 
makes me moist and makes me want to slap the my butt cheeks at the moon. Oh! In parentheses, I am a man. That's oh. perfectly fine. Thank you so much. Hey, I remember the original one, but mm. I love the updated one. <laughs> the original great. one was just moist. I don't think he was slapping butt he cheeks didn't, at the well, moon. His fandom evolved into slapping butt cheeks now, so thank At you. At the moon. Well, I do know we got two new reviews number-wise as well. I guess maybe we'll... iTunes, sometimes it takes a while to like get that, that uh, written in there, but uh, thank you so much for doing that. Yeah, it's it helps a bunch. I, I see it in the numbers. Every time we get a batch of new reviews, we get more downloads. That's just how it is. It has <laughs> to do with the algorithm. Hell yeah. But iTunes is falling, which is nice. Spotify is the revolution, mm. so just go ahead and do that. Hell yeah. Oh, God. The best thing you can do if you want to be our best friend would be buy, buy one of our shirts. That's the best way to support us. And another the best way is <laughs> patreon.com slash podcast. You can sign up at any level and get access to a growing number of Patreon mm-hmm. fanfic episodes, mm. and I'm uh, uh, fairly certain we're going to expand we're going to expand even... I've got some ideas, but yeah, I don't want to say too much. And don't spoil it. I don't want to tell nobody my thoughts, <laughs> or they'll be like Dimebag Daryl and the guy that killed him. <laughs> Wait, I would be the murderer in that case, yeah, and they would be for, the Dimebag Daryl. Okay, okay, yeah, yeah, maybe that was... I don't know. I don't know where you're going with this. Well, the guy that killed Dimebag Daryl thought he was a, 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 a Marine, ex-Marine, okay. whatever. You're All never right. an ex-Marine. You know what I mean. He yeah, was out yeah, of the yeah. service. Yeah, yeah. And he thought that Dimebag's lyrics that he was writing for Hell Yeah, that he was uh, stealing them from his brain. And that's why he had to kill him. Okay, okay, I gotcha. Okay, very sick man then. Sick man, yes. <laughs> yeah. Uh, R.I.P. Dimebag, I, I do miss you. I mm. love Pantera. Hell it's yeah. fucking amazing. So, patreon.com slash podcast. Sign up at any level. Do we have any new patrons? We do. We need to thank Robert. Robbie, thank the Thank you so much. We will uh, be getting your goodies here pretty soon. That a boy, Robert. Hell thank yeah. you. You're a, you're, a, you're a fucking mensch. He's a hero. You're a, a hero. You're a fucking mensch. We appreciate you. We appreciate everyone. Uh, this has been Bumblebutt Podcast. Thank you very much for listening. That has been Cody. Thank you, Cody. Thank you, Adam. I've been Adam. We will see you next week. Have a nice weekend. Unless it's do that. Later.